1963, JFK signed Executive Order Number 11085. You all know that one, right? Yeah. You know what it did, though? It established the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That is the highest civilian award our country has. It expanded its scope to include uh, cultural achievements, arts, sports, things of that nature. It's awarded every year, or almost every year. There have been two years there were none. Uh, on or about July 4th. It seems like a, a good date to, to do that. Uh, and here's what it says about it. It is for an especially meritorious contribution to the security or national interests of the United States, world peace, cultural, or other significant public or private endeavors. In other words, if you are not in the military, if you don't serve in that specific called way, then this is the highest praise, this is the highest love that our country can give to you. Let me tell you the highest praise and highest love that the Apostle Paul gives to somebody who's not a pastor, not an elder, not a deacon. There's this guy, Epaphroditus. Now, it, it's interesting. Uh, his name means set apart for Aphrodite or set apart for Venus. So he was dedicated to a pagan god by his parents. And we see this life that has become dedicated for the one true God. And it's just incredible. This is an average, ordinary man. This is, again, not a pastor. He's just a guy in the pew. But his life is anything but ordinary. It is extraordinary because of his great God. So Epaphroditus, uh, he's actually the reason that we have Philippians. Paul has a lot to say in Philippians. It's got a lot of amazing scriptures that you know. Things that, that we put on, on bumper stickers or on coffee cups. But it was written because of this one man. Because he's going back home. And when he's going back home, Paul is going to award him the highest honor that he possibly can. See, Epaphroditus came originally and he brought a gift the, the Philippian church knew that Paul was in prison and he'd been there a little while and they knew that he had needs because he, while he was in prison, he wasn't there at the government's expense. He was there at his own expense. And so he has needs. He has food. He has other things. And he's got real physical ailments. Paul is an old man at this point. He doesn't see well. He's hunched over. He hurts. So Paphroditus is entrusted to bring this gift to him. And it's a very important task that he has. But not only that, Epaphroditus is going to stay and he's going to minister to Paul's needs. Whatever Paul needs, anything at all, anything. I'm talking from the toilet being clean to, to the, uh, you know, if he's got a, a muscle that's sore, to his feet being washed. If he needs a letter sent somewhere, Epaphroditus is there to do it. There's nothing too great or too small for this man. And he's going on his own dime. He doesn't have some stipend from the church. He's going to pay his own way. And so he comes, he brings the letter, and as he's coming, he falls ill. I mean, deathly ill. By the time he reaches Rome, he's not expected to make it. But he does, because God has grace and God has mercy. But Paul sees him, and, and Paul decides, I need to send him back. He's longing for his people. He knows that his people have heard that he's sick. 
And his heart is so grieved and troubled over it that he just, he's here, he's serving, he's faithful, but it's time to send him back. And it's premature. They aren't expecting him back. So I'm not just going to send him back as though he's some loser, some quitter, but I'm going to send him back with the highest regard, the highest love that I possibly can so that he will be accepted as he should be. And that's the cause for this being written to us. That's, that's the undercurrent of the entire book, but especially for this passage that we're looking at. Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus should encourage us. Let me repeat that. It should encourage us. In nothing today do I want to shame anyone. We shouldn't walk away feeling guilty. We should walk away feeling inspired. Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus should encourage us to do great things for Christ. No matter how ordinary a Christian we think we are, we can do great things for Christ. And it should encourage us as a church to honor and to rejoice with other people who do. Ordinary people who do great things for Christ. So, let's pick up in verse 28, or excuse me, 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul begins with his affection for Epaphroditus, and he has a, a lot of it here. He gives, he's giving him the highest praise. He says, this is my brother. This is my brother in Christ. This is a true faithful believer. He has shown it time and time again. You know, one thing about Epaphroditus coming to Paul where he's at is Paul's in prison. At any time, Nero can decide Paul is worthy of being put to death. And then anyone who's there with Paul runs the risk of being guilty by association and being put to death right there with him. So Epaphroditus is there. He's hanging out with Paul. He's not ashamed of Paul. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Far from it. He's a brother in Christ. He is a faithful witness no matter what. I promise you this. When people are talking about Jesus Christ, Epaphroditus is not silent. When people are talking about evil, wicked things, Epaphroditus is not silent. He's going to speak up as a brother in Christ and speak the truth of God into any and every situation. He may not be the leader in every situation, but he's going to be faithful. He's going to stand like a brother. He's Paul's brother. Paul loves him, but he's also uh, a fellow worker. Uh, Another word for this would be a fellow laborer. You think about the things that need to be done in the gospel. In in Paul's life, this could be as simple as Paul's dictating a letter to him and and Epaphroditus is writing it out. It could be running errands. It could be washing feet. But I, I think it's a lot more than that. This idea of working for the Lord. You know, one of the greatest examples of this is when Jesus says, the field is white with harvest, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send his workers. And Epaphroditus is is one of those. So another thing that we really know about Epaphroditus is that he shared the gospel. Everywhere he went, he was concerned with souls first and foremost. That's the kind of life that's, that's willing to go and associate itself with Paul, even though Paul may be put to death. It's the kind of life that's willing to leave everything behind to go to Rome. It's for furthering the gospel. This man is concerned not with his own life, 
but he's concerned with the souls in the world around him. That's the kind of example that we need, brothers and sisters. We need to see people who have an evangelistic heart, who care so much about people that they're willing to share the gospel no matter what, no matter how inconvenient, whether they have somewhere to go, whether it's hot outside, whether they feel comfortable or uncomfortable, whether they feel trained, whether they feel blessed. They just know this. If those people don't hear that God is holy and that they're not worthy to stand before him because of their sin, if they don't hear about Jesus Christ who died on the cross, they're going to go to hell. I have to tell them this, and I have to tell them, and I have to tell them about the word so that they have something to stand on, not just that they'd agree in their mind, but they'd have something to stand on, to base their whole faith and trust in. And there's nothing else in this world, nothing else saves. Epaphroditus is that kind of a guy. We're not all equally skilled at sharing the gospel. Some people literally are gifted with it. That's one of the things that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, is that God has given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and preachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Some people literally have a gifting, but we all have the calling because we are all to be not only brothers in Christ, but we're to be co-workers, co-laborers. This is church. Please look at me. This is the mission that God has given us. That's why we call it missions. Is that we would share the gospel with a lost and a dying world who does not know him. And it can't be just words, right? We, we, at heart, we have to be brokenhearted about it. If you saw a puppy with its foot caught in a trap, you wouldn't walk by would you? If you saw a child who was crying and bleeding, you wouldn't walk by. Look at people and see them on fire. Look at them and see them burning in hell. And don't walk by. Share the gospel with them. That is the mission of the church. But I'm telling you, until we're brokenhearted for the lost... It's not going to happen until we see ourselves as needing to obey that great commission. It's not going to happen. That is something that Epaphroditus knows that we need to get hold of. He's my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. This man stands for the gospel. Already by this point in time, and we're not but 30 years past Christ dying, there are already so many false teachings about the gospel, so many false teachings about how people can go to heaven. They're already teaching, you know, things like, well, you gotta be, you gotta do works, you gotta, you gotta be baptized, you gotta be circumcised, you gotta believe have this special knowledge. It's not for everyone, it's only those who, who know the secret things that I know. All these kinds of false teachings are already out there. There's really not a heresy that we encounter today that's not already in the church at this point. The idea of being a soldier at the very least means that you are going to stand for the truth of the gospel and proclaim it. Because it goes back to the one before, that you're going to be a co-worker. 
You're going to be so concerned about people's souls going to heaven and not to hell that you're going to confront the things that would trap them, that they would think they have heaven, but they don't. They actually just have hell because they don't really have Jesus. It also means prayer. A soldier fights, and he fights a war, and our war is not against flesh and blood, brothers and sisters. And our war is not fought with fists or with rifles. It's fought from our knees. It's fought on prayer. We can do nothing apart from God. You want to see our church grow? Pray. You want to see unity and peace? Pray. You want to see the forces of Satan that are coming against us as we are beginning to grow? You want to see that put to an end? It's not going to come with our words. It's going to come from our prayers. And God is able to do that. Be a soldier. Be a soldier. You, you may not be uh, somebody who's running around slinging the sword, fighting false doctrine all the time, though you should speak the truth when you encounter lies. But we can fight from our knees. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. This, this word messenger is very particular. It means uh, apostle, apostolos, one who's sent with a message. So it's definitely used for the 12, right? But it's, it's used generally of anyone coming with a, a, a specific message. So Paul is saying about him, he's coming with the message of God. Again, we just keep going back to this idea of evangelism and, and the gospel, don't we? It's all over this passage that this is what Epaphroditus' life is about. And again, this is an ordinary man. This is not a man who is blessed with the gift of evangelism. He's not a pastor. He's not an elder. This is a lay person in the church, and his life is all about the gospel. It's built on the gospel, and it's about sharing the gospel. This man brings the news of the gospel. He's bringing it from Philippi to Rome. You better be sure that he's out, and, and anybody who comes and visits, he's, he's helping Paul to share the gospel, and he's discipling people, but he's also out there in the world as he goes to the store. He's sharing the gospel. He's bringing the good news. He's bringing the message. And he's a minister to my need. This word minister is, is very interesting also. Uh, it's, it's used elsewhere, almost everywhere else, in fact, uh, to refer to someone who serves at their own expense. So imagine if our, well, actually, I guess Trump did this. So he got elected president and he took no pay, right? He served at his own expense. But not only that, imagine if instead of that, Trump said, I will foot all the government's bills. Nobody needs to pay taxes during my entire term. That's really what this word means. So as Epaphroditus went to him to minister to him, he did it all at his own expense. He paid for his own trip. He's not getting anything from the church. There's no Lottie Moon missions fund to pay for him. He's doing everything on his own dime and with his own life, and he's doing it so willingly. It's, it's really profound. So what's Paul doing here? All in all, Paul is expressing this affection for this man. He's my brother. He's my co-laborer. He's my fellow soldier. He's your messenger of the gospel. He's your minister to me and to my need. Paul is just expressing great love and affection for him. Not for who he is, but for what he has done in Christ. Again, let me say that. Paul is loving this man not because of who he is, not because of his character traits, 
not because he brought Paul a great gift, but because of what he has done in Christ. That's where his value is. So then we turn. He says, uh, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So I'm sending him back to you, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul turns to looking for, at his affection for Epaphroditus and now looks at Epaphroditus' affection for his people. Epaphroditus is there. He's carrying on his work. He's being faithful in everything that he does. But there's this thing in his heart that he just can't get past. My people in my church back home know that I was on the verge of death and they're worried about me. And now that has me heart sick. And so he's, he's longing, he's yearning to be back there with them. And Paul points that this is a good thing. This doesn't make him a quitter. This makes him somebody who's just filled with profound love for his church. You think about the passage that we read, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he does that. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And you see about Epaphroditus here that he does that. This kind of love and affection is not for super-Christians. This is a picture of the average Christian in this church. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed. This word means that, this word for distress here means that nothing can cure it. it. It can't be satiated. It's like you had a hunger and you just can't get enough. So no matter how much Epaphroditus is being encouraged or being reminded, hey, they're okay. He just, nothing is going to fix this for him unless he goes back and sees them. But he's not going to abandon Paul. He's going to stay there. He's going to be faithful. But Paul knows that because they've heard how ill he was, he needs to go back. He needs to go back. His heart is there. His heart is with his people. He's been faithful. He's done his ministry. God will minister to me in other ways. See, Paul sending him back does bring a loss to Paul, right? I mean, Paul's, like I said, he's an older man. He doesn't see well. He doesn't have a lot of help. And, and this man is, is definitely going to be useful. That was his whole purpose. Paul was looking forward to him coming. So he's sending him back. It's at a loss. But it's at a gain for the church, which is another major theme that, that Paul has in Philippians. So Epaphroditus has this incredible love for his church that he can't stop thinking about them. I don't want to shame anyone, but I want to encourage brothers and sisters, this should be our hearts for one another. We've got a list, right? We should be praying over this. Not only that, we should be be calling one another. We should be encouraging one another. In the Lord. When we we say we love each other, it's not just like we, we like to hang around you and you're fun to talk with and let's play, you know, let's play dominoes. It's how is your soul? How is your soul? Are you walking well in the Lord? Is there anything I can do to encourage you? God has laid some things on my heart. He's shown me some things this week from his word. Let me share them with you. Maybe there'll be an encouragement with you. If you are someone who has done that, that that you will call somebody up and you'll go, you know, I just want to share with you a couple things that the Lord's shown me this week. Then you know how often it is that you end up speaking right into someone's life. It's as though you showed up at their door and they were sick and you didn't know it, but you just happened to bring the right medicine with you. 
God works like this all the time. And the more we love one another, the more we're going to be able to see that work in each other's lives. So, we see Paul's affection for Epaphroditus. We see Epaphroditus' affection for his church. Now we're going to see the affection that Paul wants them to have for Epaphroditus. Again, remember, this man's coming back. It's premature. They're not expecting him back. They're going to wonder, what went wrong? What are you doing here? You're supposed to be there. And Paul is sending him with the highest commendation that he possibly can. We'll pick up in verse 27. He says, indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's sorrow because, sorrowful because he's there in prison, right? It's, it's not a bright hope that he has in the moment. Well, his hope is in Christ, but, but tomorrow doesn't look bright. The next day is not looking good either. Thursday, who knows? He's already been here quite some time. He might be here years. But now if Epaphroditus, this, this great brother and fellow worker and, and, and fellow soldier and minister to the need and, and apostle, if he dies, that's going to be a brokenheartedness that I'm just not going to get over. Not anytime soon. And I'm going to be anxious until he gets back to you. And so I'm, I'm sending him back to you. And you need to know it was no light thing. He didn't have a cough. He was on the death's doorstep. We were shocked that he's still alive. That's what Paul's saying. He risked it all for the sake of the gospel. And God had mercy. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. This word rejoice means to be grateful for the grace that God has given you. To be grateful for the grace that God has given you. Anytime you see that word rejoice, that's what it means. And the word grace means God's unmerited favor. So be grateful for the unmerited favor that God has given you. And what's that unmerited favor here? Seeing Epaphroditus. You need to be grateful that Epaphroditus is alive. You need to be grateful that you get to see him again. You should be grateful that I've sent him back. Don't question his motives. Don't question where he's at. Don't doubt a thing about this man. He is as solid as they come. I'm sending him back to you for your good. And because he loves you. And so you rejoice when you see this brother. You think about missionaries. Maybe you have the expectation that every missionary is going to die in the field. And a lot of them do. They don't all. Can you imagine when they come back? If one does come back and it's just, I'm too sick to carry on. These circumstances are too hard. Whatever it may be. Don't you think that they come back potentially with their heads hanging low? The last thing we should ever do is turn to somebody like that and go, what happened? We should rejoice at seeing them. If you encounter a pastor and he ends up leaving a church, gets fired by a church, what have you, not what happened. But rejoice at seeing them. Anytime you encounter a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and abides in Christ, 
rejoice at seeing them. It is God's grace that you would have them in your life and that you can call them brother and co-labor and soldier for Christ. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So receive him in the Lord. Receive him in Christ. This isn't some man who came back from doing a business transaction. This isn't some cousin. This isn't some lost person. This is somebody who is in Christ. So you greet them in Christ. That is first and foremost spiritual, isn't it? That is a joy. That is a peace that surpasses all hearts, all understanding. The world does not understand this. Lost people don't understand this. You might have been in church your whole life and you have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never encountered the joy of greeting somebody in Christ. That literally it's like some little bell in your heart starts ringing, like the phone in your heart starts ringing because you encountered another Christian and you just love them and it doesn't even have to make sense. You just know that there's Jesus in them and there's Jesus in me and that Jesus meter is going ding, 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 ding. There's this tremendous affection. It can happen anywhere. It definitely should happen in the church, but it really can happen anywhere. That you see that joy in someone. You see that peace. You see those things that, that don't make sense in the world. And you go, you're a Christian. Yes, I am. Let me tell you about it. And then you tell somebody about it. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. This doesn't just apply to the Epaphroditus of the world who are returning from some kind of a short-term mission. It doesn't just apply to missionaries. This is not about pastors or elders or deacons. This is about the people in the church. Brothers and sisters, when you encounter people who are living faithfully to Christ, whose lives are devoted to him, honor them. Honor them. We are so quick to tear people down, to question their motives. But we are told to honor them, to lift them up, to speak highly of them, to give them praise, to recognize them for what they have done in Christ. This is so, in a world that's so discouraging, this is one of the most important things that you can do. And you know what? Here's the thing. We don't just honor them for their own sake. It's not, let me tell you how great you are, because that would be rough. Uh, I was reading in... In uh, 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 Proverbs, there's a verse that, that basically says, uh, you know, there's this test for gold and there's this test for silver, but the test for a man's heart is when people speak well of him or when people praise him. That's the real test of what's true. So we don't just want to praise someone and, and put them on a pedestal, but we honor them. Why? So that everyone else will see a good example and will know how to follow it. That is crystal clear throughout Scripture. Paul says it several times to follow those who are living well, to honor those who are serving and who are living well, to follow in their example. We need these kinds of things. We need good, faithful, solid brothers and sisters in Christ, ordinary brothers and sisters who we can look to to follow. They don't have to be super Christians. They don't have to be teachers. They don't have to be deacons. They don't have to be elders. They're just faithful and filled with Jesus Christ. And that is commendable. 
It deserves the highest praise for anyone who's sold out to God. You want to talk about being sold out to God? Let's look at this last verse, okay? Verse 29, or excuse me, verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You honor him because he nearly died, right? He nearly died. He was right there. How did he get there? Because he risked his everything. He risked his health. He risked his income. He risked his future. He risked his life for the sake of Christ. This word risk here is often translated uh, from the Greek as gambling. He gambled his life. He put everything on one roll of the dice. I'm going to go where Paul's at. I'll take that gift. I know that I could get robbed. I know that there could be disease. I know that I could end up in prison. I know that I could be killed for being associated with him. I know that I could be spat on. I know that I could be beat. I know that anything horrible could happen to me. I'm going to let it ride on Jesus for the sake of the gospel. I want to read to you something written by William Barclay. He says, In the days of the early church, there was an association of men and women called the Parabolonai. Now that's the word used here for risk or gamble. Okay, that's our connection. Parabolonai. That's, that's what Epaphroditus did. In the days of the early church, there was an association of men and women called the Parabolonai, the gamblers. It was their aim to visit the prisoners and the sick, especially those who were ill with dangerous and infectious diseases. Do you get the idea of the gambling? They gambled their own lives to do the work of Christ. In AD 252, plague broke out in Carthage. The people threw out the bodies of their dead and fled in terror. Cyprian, the Christian bishop, gathered his congregation together and put them to work burying the dead and nursing the sick in that plague-stricken city. And by doing so, at the risk of their own lives, they saved the city from destruction and desolation. And they comforted the sick and they brought honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. He says this, in all Christians... There should be an almost reckless courage which makes them ready to gamble with their lives to serve Christ and other people. That is the highest praise. All this other stuff is great, but he risked it all for Jesus Christ. Guys, we got folks who won't come to church because of COVID. And these people went around into homes and nursed the sick and dying. And they buried them. And it wasn't once in Carthage. This has happened throughout history. That there have been faithful Christians who go, my life's in the Lord's hands. It's not my own. If he wants to take me, let him take me. But I'm going to have a chance to minister to this person and show Christ to this person in their death. Maybe in their life. Maybe God will heal them. I can share the gospel. I can serve. I can be Christ-like. I can get down and I can wash feet. What's my life? My life. I'm willing to risk it all for the sake of Jesus. The highest praise here is that he calls Epaphroditus a gambler for Jesus. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was lacking in your service to me. He nearly died for me. He came to do your work for me. 
It was all completely selfless. There was nothing in this for him. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that the life that's going to please God the most, that's going to have the greatest commendation, that's going to hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, is going to be the one that is not lived for self. It's lived for the love of God, for the glory of God, and for the benefit of his people here on earth.